Uh, not not the movie. I, I don't like cats, the animal. Mm -hmm. My mom always says, can we get a cat? And I'm like, no, no. The only reason why is because they fucking shit inside. Mm. I don't like it. Like my dog, he looks at me, he goes to the door and he shits outside. Yeah. Cats, they'll just yeah. shit in a box inside. Yeah. And it's like, sure, they do it in a box, but I don't want to, that box is inside. I, yeah, it's, it's inside. And it's like, I don't understand why cats are so picky with where they shit, you know, like... Look, I mean, I'm not picky with where I shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, ju I usually prefer toilets. That's my preference. I mean, I'm a little bit picky. I prefer yeah. the toilet. <laughs> and talking about shit and also talking about cats. Welcome to the first episode of 2021 to As a Film Student. I'm your little furry cat host, Mon. And I'm the... <laughs> I'm the podcast crazy man, Nick. I forgot my name. I was like, "Do you have a name, sir?" <laughs> no, what is your I am name? just the crazy man. Right. So cats. It's 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 really hard to kind of talk about cats and describe cats to somebody who's never seen it. It's like, where do you start with cats? You know, like where. Do you start? We, we've written like, well, I've written like, like just for this episode, like five different documents, just like, where do I begin? What's important? What isn't important? Like there's so much. There's just so much to cats. And I just, I just don't know where to start. So I think with, we're going to kind of split this episode in like three parts, right? So the first part is going to start off with context. So what is cats? Who is cats? Where is cats? When is cats? Why is cats? You know, like all of this stuff. And then the second episode will be kind of the production of the film and the analysis. So why is cats? Why? Uh, and then the third will just be a reaction and it will be, I assure you, a collective scream of just pain. But yeah, like I, I, I really like the fact that we're starting the new year off um, with cats, right? Because, you know, 2020, we don't talk about her. She's, she's just, we don't mention her. She left the room and we're like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Exactly, that's right, bitch. It's really funny because the, when we first heard of cats, we, we all saw the trailer. So in our, in our group chat, we have a collective group chat and we have a group. There was one person, her name's Maddie Marshall. Called out call, by name. Called out by name. Basically, she was randomly on the group chat. Hey, does anybody want to see cats on New Year's Day? The start of the new year in 2020. And all of us, we've seen the trailers. We've seen how horrible it is. And we thought, hey, this will be like, you know, a really nice shit watch, you know? Like, we'll just watch it and we'll just like go in there pissed out of our minds. And we won't enjoy it. But hey, we're going to be making a, a, an experience along the way. And guess what? It was sure as hell an experience, Nick. It was a thing. And then 13 months later, all of a sudden, I'm known to everybody who knows me through you as that cat's guy exactly. it's got to and the, i've gone uh, completely insane it's gone to the point where like <laughs> when i tell people that i have a podcast they're like oh that's so cool and i'm like yeah i'm i have a podcast with my friend nick and the first thing i say to somebody who's never met you is that nick is my friend who's obsessed with cats no i don't mean the animal i mean cats 2019 the movie <laughs> directed 
by Tom Hooper. And I never would have seen it if it hadn't been for Maddie. I would be normal. Exactly. <laughs> I would have other character traits. Exactly. But now this is like your overarching like personality trait now. So it's who I am. It is. It is who you are. And the thing is, like when we first watched it, we all went to um, we wanted to all watch it in Chadston, which is like you know this large shopping center. And the thing is, we went there all of us, and guess what? They didn't have a screening. They cancelled the screening on the day, and so we had to search up where else to watch this fucking movie. And it was our first omen. We should have taken that omen, and we should have just not watched. Exactly, it. we shouldn't have watched it. But then we were like determined to see this pile of hot trash, and so we searched up to a, a, like a small cinema, Palace Cinemas in Elstonwick, because that was like they were actually showing it. And you know what? We were like, yep. Let's go. And we drove all the way to Elsenwick. We're into the movie. We go in. You gave me like two ciders. And uh, you had like, I don't know, like a bottle of like really shitty wine. $3 Aldi wine. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. And, Those Germans. Right. And fucking Khan has his little white wine with him. Just, just sipping it. Just it's sipping like throughout it. Throughout the entire movie. Just, so posh and pretty. And just posh and pretty. <laughs> and we're like, Khan. Why do you have fucking white wine? <laughs> Anyways, besides the point, we watched the movie and as soon as the first scene happens, as soon as it's on screen and the sound and the music, we knew that this wasn't your regular schmegular shitty watch. This is something that will haunt us for the rest of our lives and to some of us control the rest of our lives. And that was actually our descent and Nick's descent into madness. Yeah, because that, that opening, those opening bars are like 80s synthwave descent into hell. That's probably what Lucifer heard when he was like falling or some shit. I don't know. I haven't read the Bible. I haven't read the fucking Bible either. But yeah, <laughs> it's I, fucking I... boring. <laughs> it's too long. Too many guys called Joseph. <laughs> yeah, but I honestly don't like... It, it, it's just so, like, surreal to me, like, how we just came out of it collectively so drained and so dead inside. And, like, we'll get more into depth into what occurs in the film and what happens later on the late, in the few episodes after this. But it's just the fact that we saw the unfinished version of the film. And was it, Nick, was it the trailer that had the butt hole cut? The trailer didn't have the butthole cut. The butthole cut was a rumor that was not a rumor because it was confirmed because someone came out and it was like, yeah, I had to pull massive overtime to remove all the buttholes. And then somebody, like, after that news came out, put the buttholes back into a re-edited version of a trailer. And it's, oh my god, some of the shots just make so much more sense. These shots were actually composed with showing off buttholes in mind. And so the butthole cut is basically just like, they just reinforce buttholes onto like CGI cats. And I don't understand why it's a thing, you know? Like why did they have, in the musical version, they did not put buttholes in their cats. I don't, like, is putting a butthole in the cat make makes it more like a cat? Like, I don't get it. Like, what's what's the point? Like, is it like some sort of fetish? Some sort of like rim fetish? Some sort of like eating cat's ass fetish? Like, I don't understand this. Like, this is just truly like uh, 
confusing to me. And I'm like literally going, fucking what? I'm fucking like not okay anymore. Like I'm thinking we're in this. I'm fucking crying. This is not okay. Okay, okay. Anyways. Um, okay, Claire. Deep breath. Are you okay? Uh, no. You're Deep just breath. freaking out Deep over breath. the butthole I'm freaking out the butthole cut. Just even talking about it. Just, there was just so many things wrong about the film. And the thing is, when we watched the unfinished cut, we, we were just like, what is going on? And then we recently watched the finished version and it's much more better. It's polished. Faces aren't floating in front of cockroaches' bodies. Right. And guess what? Like, the thing is, like, fun fact, the, v- the VFX team actually had to work after the movie was released. Mm. I've never heard of that in, like, a film production before. Like, that's, like, I've never heard of it. That's, that's yeah. crazy. Like, that's how fucked up Cats was. To make matters worse, like, the, they were already, like, under the pump even before the trailer. Mm. But then the reaction to the trailer came out and, like, Universal, the studio producing it, just fucking slashed their budget even harder. Mm. Which, I don't know if you know much about, like, you know, giving people resources to do work, but that's not how you solve a movie that's broken. Yeah, it in fact actually reinforces the problem and makes things worse than it actually is. But where do we start with Cats, Nick? How did we get here? How do we get here? How so, do we let's get look... here? <laughs> that's a throwback to our first episode, you're right. Throwback. <laughs> so let's look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who, for a record, is a piece of shit. Both the Holy Spirit and Tom Hooper. <laughs> T.S. Okay, so the Father. T.S. Eliot. He was a poet. He was born in... 1888 in America, uh, moved to England in 1914 and decided to stay there. That's why all the cats are in London. So, uh, fun fact that's not fun, in my research, literally just trying to learn more about the original poems I learned, um, he was an anti-Semite and he did not like pluralism and his second wife was 38 years younger than than him and his secretary and was obsessed with him. Uh... Uh... Fucking men. <laughs> yeah. At least he waited like 10 years after his first wife died. So well, that's... you know what? That's so, that's so decent. To, that's so decent of him. Oh my God. He actually, wow. That's amazing. That's where I stopped reading about T.S. Eliot. Anyway. So what he did was he wrote a series of poems for his godchildren, which he eventually collated and published as Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats in 1939, which was, as we all know, not a good year. At all. And, like, proven to the fact that he is an anti-Semite. Oh, be... maybe it was a good year for him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree to disagree, I reckon. <laughs> uh, okay, palate cleanser. The reason it's called Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats is because that's what his godchildren called him. Old Possum. Old Possum. Yeah. yeah. I would call that's, him Old Pussy. That's, still, that's what he fucking is. Still can't stop thinking of him as an anti-Semite. Okay, <laughs> let's move on to the sun. Yes. <laughs> Not <the> literally. Sun. <laughs> Metaphorical sun. Andrew Lloyd Webber, one of the best things to come out of England, or the worst, depending on who you ask. Lloyd Webber's career began when he was just 17 in 1965, the year of T.S. Eliot's death, and the year before the St. Kilda Football Club won their first and only premiership to date. Yay! You may recognise Andrew Lloyd Webber's name from such works as Joseph and the Amazing Technicolored Dreamcoat, Jesus Christ Superstar, Evita, The Phantom of the Opera, Sunset Boulevard, the stage production of School of Rock, adapted from the Jack Black film, and of course, Cats. Can I just 
preface this by saying that I love Jesus Christ Superstar, and it's you've like, never seen it. I actually have seen it. Oh, oh, so you're lying when you say you haven't seen musicals? He okay. Hey, the thing is, I actually that's one of the few musicals that I have seen, and it's the one that I actually grew up with. And so, okay, this is actually a huge tangent. But back then, I didn't know who Jesus Christ was, right? <laughs> Oh my god, that would make that musical so much weirder. <laughs> I didn't know who Jesus Christ was. I grew up in a I grew up in a Buddhist household, so the only God I knew was fucking Buddha. Like I was like, yo, namaste, bitch. And so I I I didn't know who Jesus Christ was. They're the first that's my first like I don't know like. Uh, exposure to Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ Superstar and so I just always thought that like Christmas was like about the guy who was singing Jesus Christ Superstar I don't remember much about the film but all I know is that he was just singing and he was like he looked like he was a part of the Bee Gees and I was like this is cool we watched the same version oh my god and I've been trying to find it ever since my right? my year 7 teacher showed it to me and I'm like yo this shit slaps it's I want to rewatch so it but cool. I can't find it it's so cool and I just like that and I always thought Jesus Christ Superstar was like a hippie he is a hippie. He is a hippie. But like, Jesus I always, Christ is a fucking hippie. I, I always thought Jesus was a hippie, and I thought he was like a really cool guy. And then like as we got older, I was like, oh okay, he's he. I mean, he's pretty cool. But like, the people that worship him sometimes are not, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's like uh, I like Jesus Christ, but his fandom's a little bit weird. Yo, he's got a whack fandom. Like somebody needs yeah. to check, mate, his fandom. Okay. So, Lloyd Webber actually began putting T.S. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats poems to music back in 1977 as a songwriting exercise to see if he could compose to lyrics that he didn't write. Eventually, his producer hired a director and Cats premiered on London's West End in 1981, 40 years ago. Wow. It's really funny. I mean, like, when I was doing my research on... Cats the Musical, I recently found out that you know, the London production ran for like fucking 21 years. And do you know how many performances they actually like had as well during like the 21 year run in the London production uh, alone? I'd, I'd need to, to do some maths. Okay, so, so 8,949 8, performances. It's a lot of cats. And then like while this was happening, um, the Broadway production actually ran for another 18 years and they had 7,485 performances, making Cats, like literally making Cats the longest running musical in both theatre districts for like years. People yeah. fucking love Cats. It actually opened on Broadway in 1982 and it swept the fucking Tonys that year, which is like Oscars for theatre. Like, it was nominated 11 times, most out of any musicals that year. It won seven, including lighting design, costume design, direction, original score, performance by a featured actress in a musical, best book of a musical, and of course, why wouldn't you, the best musical. So, what it centers around is the Jellicle Cats, mm. and a Jellicle means dear little. It's another one of T.S. Eliot's uh, godchildren just not knowing how to speak because they're fucking children. So, the Jellicle Cats are a tribe of cats attending the Jellicle Ball, in which one will be chosen to be reborn to a new life, and that's it. That's the show. Just in touch. That's it. Yeah, because, like, I think, I mean, Andrew Lloyd Webber didn't make it for it to be, like, like have a didn't make the musical to have a riveting plot like it was just meant to be like song and dance 
oh my god guys mm. um and that was kind of all it was but i know this is going to be a slight tangent but i was reading up a lot about the costume design it's funny because like this like the musical was actually like made during the 80s right mm. yeah and so i think the leg warmers like right and like the 80s it basically embodies all of the 80s like it embodies the camp of the 80s it embodies the leg warmers the like leotards like the skin tight suits the like wacky makeup the leg warmers like as you said and i was just like damn this is actually like a really amazing look back like a nice like kind of like time machine back to the 80s and even with the music as well like the kind of use of like synth waves and like all of this like new technologies of the 80s and i just like adore that i think that's amazing um and then you compare it with cat 2019 which doesn't have any of that and it's like you're adapting a musical from the 80s and it doesn't embody that kind of essence of the 80s you know it doesn't embody that same kind of energy and that kind of theatrical kind of i don't know spectacle of like the theater and so i find that really like fascinating in a really bad way so (laughs) that's kind of my tangent mate yeah um it's actually interesting that you mentioned the music uh because it started off as a 16-piece orchestra in the theater and then when they were filming it for the 1998 directed video uh, performance they did they brought in a 90 piece orchestra damn wow that's actually crazy but yeah like i real, i also really like the music like all of the theme songs for like Rizabella and like rum tum tugga are all like very specific genres of music as well mm. like i think rum tum tugga's one in the musical was like a rock was it rock yeah, yeah it was like rock right and Rizabella was more like a kind of like a dramatic opera and it was like a powerhouse song and speaking of Grisabella let's talk about memory for a hot minute the main song that everybody knows yeah everybody knows about memory when I first went into Cats I didn't know that memory was actually from Cats I thought it was just like a random song by like I don't know like Barbara Streisand or some shit like I didn't even she know she actually has done a recording of memory exactly which is why I thought it was her and I actually had no idea it was from Cats, right? So when I first watched Cats, imagine my fucking surprise when I found out that it was from Cats. And I was like, mm, damn. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's an amazing song though. Like it's, like I remember it was like one of the most popular songs in the 80s, I think. It got tons of radio play just in and of itself. I actually, uh, fun fact, you know Celine Dion? Yeah. Like, my heart will go on later. Yeah, I do. She's French, and she learnt memory phonetically, <gasps> like, the English version, because oh, wow. she didn't speak English, and she, like, performed in, like, full Grisabella, like, just for, like, this, like, talent show, I think, back in, like, uh, the 80s or early 90s. I'm just, like, sitting there, I'm watching it, I'm just like, god damn. Actually, so cool. That uh, memory, the lyrics, actually based off an unpublished poem of Eliot's called Grizabella the Glamour Cat, which he didn't, like, publish because he's like, ah, this is too depressing for kids. And it's like, yeah, it is actually a little depressing. It is pretty depressing. And I, I hey, but the songs, are, the songs are fucking banger, though. There actually was going to be uh, another movie back in the 90s. Mm. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Mm, so, like... It was really interesting because during like the height of Cats, right, my boy 
the king of the 90s, the king of the blockbusters in the 90s, Steven Spielberg, wanted to make a adaption of the musical, right? Anyway, so he was consorting with Ablamation, which is an animated film studio, and he wanted to adapt the musical, but it was going to be set in like war-torn London during like the Second World War. But then it had to be abandoned because the studio actually closed in like 1997. Um, and so instead, like in the following year, the director video film was actually released. So it was like the 1998 version of like Cats, but they filmed it. Like they filmed a theater show. Um, but it was actually really, really cool. Um, so what was really interesting was the fact that like they actually had all of the uh cats actors like in the theater like in the stage because normally they would be kind of roaming around the audience right um and so they had it all on stage there were like different i think that they had they made several cuts to some like some of the songs and they made some changes as well but it was fantastic i i watched it and i was like you know what this is actually a fucking banger i rewatched it last night and it's like damn this actually slaps i was underrating it it is like... and it is so so gay and we'll talk about that later yeah it's it's very gay okay so that's the musical context let's just let let's put that to a side for one second Mm -hmm. now let's go to the holy spirit piece of shit um tom hooper the director (sighs) of cats 2019 and a man who if he ever shows his face in australia i'll 1v1 him i will not just no cap no hey Sweetie, we will 2v1 him. I will... Nah, nah, nah. We will 2v1 him. I'll let let you as a pro-game. I'm coming in for the kill. (laughs) Are you going to steal my kill, dog? It'll be... Okay, I'm just saying, if Tom Hooper just has such a punchable face... I I bet. I'm pretty sure he went to a private school. Mm, He looked... Definitely. So... Definitely. He would have benefited from going to, like, a public school where he could get bullied. I really wish people had bullied him more. (laughs) And if he was bullied... They didn't do a good job. I want to beat up those bullies and show them how to bully. I'm good at bullying. Khan will tell you that. <laughs> no, maybe you shouldn't talk about being a bully, Nick. Um, that's not good. Bullies are not good people. Um, just, just to reiterate or just to say, I'm not actually a bully. I'm just an asshole. <laughs> but Tom Hooper is an yes. absolute dickhead. He, oh, such, such a face. Anyway. He got his start directing um, through his dad's connection to the BBC, and he began his career with like some TV shows such as EastEnders, some advertisements, and a few like eh, no-name films. Mm-hmm. Until he struck gold with *The King's Speech*, a 2010 film, and a film that found the Oscars G spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It definitely Could, did. Like it, 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 Tom- it found the G spot. And then went to the clit and just rubbed it nicely. Yeah. Just rubbed it so nicely. That is as close to a clitoris that he's ever going to get exactly. is the Oscars clitoris. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> Please don't. Um, <laughs> okay. But it's just the King's Speech. I only seen like a few like scenes from it. And it's really fascinating, his directing style, right? Yeah. Like the Oscars hate things that aren't sad realism. So Tom Hooper does a lot of sad realism, yeah. but he lacks any sort of authenticity. It's like eating food with no salt. Oh, that's it's like, true. It's there, but is it there 
Why are you eating it if there's no fucking salt on it? Jesus. The King's Speech was an absolute awards darling. Everyone loved it. It beat the social network for best pictures at the Oscars and apparently that made everybody mad. And it's fine. It's a wanky story about a wanky guy from a wanky family that has people still lapping up their cum despite their fucking irrelevance in the political <laughs> atmosphere. So, mm. who better to film it than Britain's second biggest wanker? Mm. Like, you notice the part where it falters most is when Tom Hooper isn't focusing on the wankers. Like, when he just is focusing on the Australian guy from the working class family. Like, it's like, ooh. This is, this is a weird part of the movie. This isn't working. Like, if he, if Tom Hooper were to direct uh, an episode of The Crown, like, he would fit right fucking in. In fact, I bet, bet, that's going to be his redemption arc. <laughs> After Cats 2019, he's going to go away, he's going to, like, start shooting things about the royals again. I, I'm, yeah, I never watch anything about the royals. I stay away from that because I just believe that the monarchy is just bullshit and I just don't care about the lives of, like, rich white people. Mm, yeah. The only, I'll only watch it if they, like, behead somebody, though. That's, ooh, that's what the French are for. Oof, delicious. Mark this down as the only time I speak well about the French. <laughs> they know how to behead a rich person. They do. So what the King's Speech does is it establishes the types of stories that he's suited to, wanky ones, mm. and his cinematic style. It's cold. It's distant. It's either extremely close up to the face or far away. I'm placing the subject off center. It's kind of made to make you feel uncomfortable. But what it ends up doing to me is it, it literally just makes my eyes hurt. Mm. Like, you know how you always go, oh my god, your pupils are so big? Yeah, I, I think Tom Hooper broke them. Oh. <laughs> They're always contracting because Tom Hooper just can't pick a fucking lane. <laughs> and at some point it's like, at what point is does this stop being art? And at what point does it become a pretentious git? Mm. That's the... Uh, main takeaway uh it's it's very cold mm. it's uh, lots of blues or lots of grays and that's where you start to see it becoming you know different from most musical theaters just at that like baseline because mm. musical theaters like there's some that are cold but most are not they're fucking flamboyant they're fucking surreal yeah so because musical theaters are a spectacle they're meant to really like embody all aspects of like dance, music, song, and mm. what's really fascinating with Cats the Musical is that it was actually like known as a mega musical because it not only just embodied like all of those aspects, but it also used marketing to its like full potential. It used like music to its full potential, and mm. it tapped into like like I guess parts because back then musicals weren't as big and as flamboyant; they were more kind of like structured. This was just a collective mess it was chaos basically and people loved it because it was chaos people loved it because it was just so imaginative and so creative and that's why people liked cats and then if you let a man who's always made quite like he made sad realism his like past films have been very you know like just very like set in stone they're very structured and very cold and distant how can you make something very cold and distant and trans uh, transmit that into something that's so like personable and so like colorful and i feel like that's one of the aspects of why cats failed big time is the fact that his cinematography just doesn't work with cats um mm. even like cats the 19 um a cat yeah 1998 version was very like it was good to watch 
like it was amazing like the biomimicry of like the cats and like their costuming and their movements and their dance and everything was just so personable and nice and it was just so it was a spectacle this doesn't seem like a spectacle it, it just seems like a spectacle that is meant to drain the fucking life out of you and you don't want to like go out of a movie and feel like you've lost all of your energy but cats managed to do that and the thing is i can't really think of many musicals that are straight up sad and cold and the only one i can think of is les mis because it's adapted from a book made in the 1800s and it was written in French, so of course it's going to be sad and depressing. And it's about a failed rebellion, and it's like, everyone's like, oh yay, I'm in love, and then, oh no, I'm sad because my love died. It's like, oh, fuck. So of course he ended up directing Les Mis, and, oh my god, Les Mis. I don't know why everyone loved it. I... Like, the only people, mm. the only people who didn't like it when it came out were people who already didn't like musicals, who and people who didn't know what they were getting into. Mm. Like, I've never seen Les Mis. I've never read it. I don't care about it. Like, I'm one of those people that are like, oh, I don't watch musicals. And it's like my personality trait is talking about how much I hate musicals. But Les Mis is one of the few musicals where I will never watch. And I don't think I'll ever watch because I hate, I just hate the idea of it. Like, it's sad. It's a sad musical. I don't want to watch a sad musical. If I want to watch something sad... I just look. I just. I just fucking watch like old videotapes of my fucking childhood. You know, like I don't. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I don't want to watch sad movies. Okay, it depends what type of sad movies. But like, I don't care about musicals, and I don't care about layman's. And so, like, I've heard a lot of, I guess, conflicting things about layman's as well. Like, some people love it, you know? Some people are like, oh, it's so like it's beautiful and it's so sentimental, and I'm like. Is it though? Is it? Does it make you cry? Uh, it did for me. Really? But only because I was off my face and I was thinking, the fucking potential! <laughs> the potential of these actors! <laughs> and they're stuck in this shitty movie! I... Literally, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> and because on my own, just, oh, I felt that girl. Mm. I felt that. Mm. So like, tell me, because uh, I've never seen it. I don't really, I can't, I can't really base an opinion or make an opinion on something I've never seen. So, like, tell me about it. Like, what, what oh, is it? Oh, do you want to recap? <laughs> no, I just tell me about why you think it's so bad. Like, like what did Tom okay. Hooper do in Les Mis? So, the only reason Tom Hooper got the gig directing Les Mis is because the guy who was holding the film rights wanted something new and innovative uh, from whoever was making the film. So Tom Hooper goes up to him and he's like, hey, I've got a good idea for this uh, innovative like aspect that you want. And that gimmick is now the infamous live onset singing. <gasps> no. Yeah. So what we get from Les Mis is just this really gritty, emotional acting and terrible singing. Not just terrible, incorrect. They're not even hitting the right notes. They're not hitting the right notes in the right spots, which would be bad for a musical. But Les Mis is a sung-through musical. There's no talking. I wait, which are, makes you, it, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's three hours <gasps> no, of no talking. Are you kidding me? Which makes it a, mu- a musical that is not good for people who don't like musicals already. Oh my god, I didn't know that. I'm, 
I'm glad I've never watched it because I would have died. Because I can't watch, I can't even watch Disney musicals because there's just too much singing. My, my, I have a, I've got a little sister. Um, she's 12. And she was like to me, I hate movies that have too much singing. She's like, that's too happy. I want to hear talking. I want to hear dialogue. <laughs> Is your sister depressed? That's too happy. <laughs> she was I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. She wasn't. We watched Frozen 2 and she was like, that's too much singing. I don't like it. I mean, I'm glad she's got good film taste, but like at the same time, I'm like, girl, like you're a child. Who cares about like cares about fucking film semantics? I fucking cried watching uh Frozen 2. Oh no. That bit where Kristoff like just does that rock ballad. Oh my god. And like I was not expecting it. So, like, the, I'm in a theatre surrounded by kids, and I'm just, like, I didn't see it coming, and I just, like, start laughing, and because, like, it was one of those situations where it's, like, you're not supposed to laugh, which makes you laugh harder, and eventually I was just <laughs> crying, because <laughs> it gets getting worse. Oh, my God. It was just so horrible. <sighs> Anyways. But some... the interesting thing about Disney musicals is that they stop singing mm. at about, like, the halfway mark. Yes. And then there's, like, maybe one song in, like, the second act. Mm-hmm. Like, after the halfway mark. Like, usually about the 45-minute mark. And then there's, like, no music, like, at the end. Yeah. Which is... which is I appreciate that. I don't find... Like, I, I used to find Disney musicals hard to digest because I just hate it that bad. But after hearing that Les Mis is a sung three musical... Yeah. I, I was watching it when I was 14 and I'm like, when are they going to, when are they going to like, okay, where does the uh, opening song end and when do they start talking and get to the next song? Is this still the first song? And then like, it hit me like quite a while into it. They're not, they're not going to talk. They're just going to keep singing. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But this, uh, because it's sung through, obviously, there's a lot of singing to film. And uh, that led to uh, 12-hour acting days. Oh, my God. And you know how huge Jacked Man is in it? Yeah, huge Jacked um, Man. Tom Hooper wanted both the theatre Hugh Jackman and the Wolverine Hugh Jackman. And I don't know if you know much about bodybuilding, but it's not that good for your vocal cords to make your, like, pecs pop out and be dehydrated mm-hmm, and shit. Mm-hmm. You know? That's not that good. Pe- like, the only people who were really vocal about not liking it are the people who walked in not expecting a song through a musical and hated it, like, initially. And they were usually the types of people who were like you, and it's like, I don't even like musicals in the first place. I was dragged here. Mm-hmm. But... Other wankers, like, they still liked it initially. And it wasn't until recently where people, like, just started coming to the realisation that, like, oh, this actually sounds and looks not good. Mm. And, in fact, even Khan, who thinks I actually give a shit about Les Mis, but I don't. I'm just an animated person when I shit on something because it makes it more fun. Anyway, he once said that he considered Les Mis a near-perfect movie. Are you kidding me? Did he say that? He had it at, like, a four and a half on uh, Letterboxd, had, but, okay. like, the only reason it wasn't a five is because there's this one note where Amanda Seyfried and Eddie Redmayne just, like, uh, they get so high, and it's, like, it's probably the closest a human being can get to forming the brown note with their mouth. It's it's terrible, and it's, like, ah, my dog's in the other room crying, I'm turning <laughs> the TV down, I'm, like, I'm gonna lose my hearing, I hate this. <sighs> Yeah, it's a bad moment. Anyway, 
after months of, like, bullying him, like, I made him watch the 25th anniversary staged version, because Les Mis was a musical from 1980 uh, in French. It got translated into English in 1985, so it's, it's old. And so I made him watch the 25th anniversary staged version, which has Nick Jonas in it, by the way. What? <laughs> There's a Jonas brother in it, and he's the worst part. Okay. And <laughs> what? Anybody who has watched the film and knows the names of the characters, I'm, I'm not going to bother explaining them at the moment, but, like, Eponine in the film is the same Eponine as she is in the 25th anniversary, which is why she has, like, the best vocal performance in that film, because she actually knows how to fucking sing. Anyway, so after months of bullying, I made him watch this version, which is no shit. It's just people standing at microphones and singing. There's no, like, choreography, nothing's going on. There is a single prop gun in the whole thing. And it's like, it's about a rebellion. You'd think they'd have a few more guns, yeah. not just, just one. So after he uh, logs it, Khan was just like, oh. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Anyway, point of the tangent is that uh, bullying works because <laughs> now he is thinking less and less of 2012 uh, Les Mis and he uh, f- has finally seen a good fucking musical. <laughs> so legitimately, if you think that 2012 Les Mis was good, re-watch that shit and tell me why. Other than, ooh, acting and ooh, unique camera work. Like, no, it's not unique. It's wanky. It's pretense. There's nothing There's nothing substantive behind it. Mm. Also, bullying people isn't bad. It, it is very, isn't good. It's very bad. <laughs> Is very no, bullying it's, people. It's good. Bullying it's people great. is bad. Oh, wait. It's not bullying people. It's bullying Khan. Okay. <laughs> don't bully Khan too much. He's, he's a good boy. I'm, you know he's what? I'm, shit. We give Khan a lot of shit, but he's actually a great guy. He's an amazing boy. <laughs> he's a fuckhead. Uh, and speaking of kind of more um, works from Tom Hooper. I remember seeing a film. Well, I haven't seen it because I don't... You put it on your watch list. It's in my watch list. Yeah, unfortunately, it's in my watch list. And I've been reading... Well, I've... Before I... Because I didn't know it was about trans... A trans woman. And I just did... I didn't know what it was. So I, I did some research about it. And I read a lot of, like, articles and kind of a lot of discourse about the Danish girl. And... I kind of... It's interesting how Tom Hooper has stretched out his filmography in such a weird way. Like, it's it's sad realism, but I just don't understand why cishet white men just love making stories about sad people of the LGBTQI plus community. And it isn't mm. done by a member of the LGBTQI community, and it isn't starring a person who who, who is of the trans community... And it just feels so tone deaf. And like, I think I'll let you talk more about it, Nick. Yeah. So The Danish Girl is a 2015 film by Tom Hooper. It stars Eddie Redmayne as in the role of Lily Elb. Uh, The Danish Girl tells the story of Lily Elb, a uh, Danish artist who transitioned in the 1930s, who eventually died due to complications stemming from an experimental surgery to implant a uterus. Now, the movie is actually based on, like, a semi-fictional biography. It's not the story of Lily Elb, like, historically accurate. But that being said, 
it's less about the story and more about the framing. And what we get as trans people, what we essentially see is caricatures of our experience that centers cis perspectives within our own stories and then claims to be uplifting trans people. Like, no, you're just uplifting cis people. And like, I've read reviews uh, in, and researched about this movie because I, I refuse to fucking sit through two hours of Eddie fucking Redman's face. And everyone's just like, yeah, Eddie Redmayne sucked, but uh, the person who plays his wife, his wife is, like, really great. Like, she's the only good part of the movie. It's like, okay, so that's a cis woman getting all the praise in a trans woman's story, where a cis man is playing the trans woman. Uh, that's just it's, the yachts for me, dog. It's like, I haven't seen Crash, but I have seen The Blind Side. It's like those. Oh, it's it's very that energy. It's very, like white savior for the the blind side but this is yeah. more like cis savior like oh i'm yeah. you know it's like this you know the cis white woman is so helpful and is doing everything that she can to help um you know help her partner transition and i was just like mm, this isn't about you sweetie <laughs> yeah and it's like oh look at how hard it is for the cis wife uh, having to support a trans wife in a transphobic society. Oh, that must be super fucking hard for her. It's funny because a lot of, like, we've spoken openly about how in a lot of films that depict members of the LGBTQ, that it's always about the struggles of being in the community. It's always a struggle of being a marginalized person. It's never, like, the, you know, it's never, like, the normal aspects of, like, what you, like, I know, like, putting your binder on, right? Or, like, having to deal with it in like the hot summer it's never like anything that is really mundane it's always the struggle they're they're going through so much and it's like by kind of pushing that rhetoric it really gives cis people that people who are trans just are so different and they're just so like they're just going through so much and we feel so bad for them and and we want to help them but it's like i feel so bad for them oh my god like we're so privileged like no it's 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 just it's that's not how it is you know and it's funny because like in these films it, it also normalizes so much transphobia and homophobia and that it relegates all of this homophobia and transphobia in the past. Like, oh, all of this stuff, all of these bad things, it happened in the past. But don't worry, we don't have transphobia and homophobia now because we are much more civilized. No, that's not what it is. Like, it just genuinely displaces all of this kind of negative stereotyping of people of the trans community. Like, it's, that, it's just so bad. And I don't mm. want to watch the film. And from what I've read, it just seems like that. Like, it just seems like it is, you know? Obviously, all of this is I've read because I'm not watching this movie. The thing is, about The Danish Girl, uh, there's a lot of small problems in it and there's a lot of big problems in it. But what it means for us is uh, seeing that the overarching issue in it and what it means for Tom Hooper's, you know, auteural trademark, if you will, and what we find is that it really represents what a, cis, a cisgendered perspective with very little consideration into the actual lives and experiences of transgender people. In essence, what it does is it represents a precursor to what Lindsay Ellis describes as a pattern rejection of anything non-heteronormative in her Cats video. And if you've seen Cats, 
The cats are fucking gay. Exactly. The cats are not straight. They are. They are gay. They are bi. They're bisexuals, and I love that. Even even okay, like in the musical itself, like Rom Tom Tugger. He turns up, and there's bisexual lighting. Not only is he radiating chaotic bi energy, the bisexual lighting is there. Exactly. Bisexual, and there's so much bisexual lighting littered in Cats 2019. Yeah, I ju- I don't think he understands it though. Like, I I think he just kind of did it. Like, there's because it's so everywhere, much and there's like there's so much neon, and it's like it it's kind of like he recognizes that he can't have that sad, cold palette that he usually does. But he just like overcompensates with weird neon and like a lot of yellows in it yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like, it's like yellow, browny black, bright neon blue, and bright neon pink making purple. Yeah, and it's it's crazy though. Like, the fact that, like, even the characters themselves are in the musical explicitly gay or bisexual. Yeah. Like, if you look at Mr. Mistopheles in the musical, that bitch is gay. He pulls a rainbow flag, like, scarf out of a fucking hat. And makes googly eyes at the Rum Tum Tugger the entire time. He is a bottom. That's for, gay. He's a bottom for Rum Tum Tugger. Uh, it's like you're watching it. It's like at what point does subtext become straight up fucking text? Right, and it's just like a lot of the characters are explicitly like you know they're co- like they're queer coded and they're actually queer. And what fucking pisses me off about Cat Twenty Nineteen is that the main character Victoria. And and freaking Mr. Mistopheles are in this kind of pseudo romance, like they're in this kind of hetero romance together. And I'm like, this was not in the musical. I don't know why this is forced upon yeah. us. Like, Mr. Mistopheles is gay. He is a bottom for Rom Tom Tugger. I don't understand why he's with this with this freaking white cat who just is good at dancing and cannot sing for shit. I do not understand this. This is like, they're just forcing down straight shit up our throats. We don't want that. We want queer cats. Queer cats. Yeah. Queer cats. cats. Queer cats. can be gay too, Tom. Like, you know that moment in 2019 Cats where it's like, uh, after that weird scene in like the graveyard and Mr. Mistopheles just bursts in like a shitty Pokemon and like gives Victoria a bouquet but he trips over himself. That is like the most like screaming this cat is now heterosexual thing I have ever seen. It's like, bro, we get it, you don't like the gays, okay? And the thing is like, the, like not, and the thing is this is kind of what a lot of uh, heterosexuals and cis like what the cishets think about the gays is that musical theater as kind of like a genre itself is very queer right that's what the cishets think it's not true to all people of the lgbtqi community but it is true for some and it is a stereotype that cishets have about musical theater okay it's very hard because a lot of other mediums like film and all of the other stuff don't really portray a lot of queer characters. And during that time, the 1980s and 90s, that was kind of the height of, like, discrimination of, you know, the gay community and lesbian community and the trans community, right? And so during that time, the only kind of exposure you get to these communities is in musical theatre. 
And as a result, like, that's why there is a lot of queer-coded characters in musical theatre. And when you try to translate something that is so queer-coded into a film and you make it heterosexual and heteronormative and cis, it makes it so much worse. It's so horrible because... Cats in of itself is the embodiment of kind of queer culture in a way. It's campy. It's a huge spectacle. It's an embodiment of just music and dance and costuming and just fucking amazing. There's a lot of spandex. There's a lot of spandex, you know. And it, it's queer coded. But yeah. to have that be stripped away into in the film and it's very cold and distant you know like they instead of using just like practical effects which have been amazing practical effects they decided to use cgi fur technology yeah and it's not like they changed it so it sucks it's more of a they didn't understand how the original worked so they changed it and they ruined what made the original work now it sucks yeah so the thing is like because of that cgi fur technology that kind of creates a distance between the actors and the cats right there's just no biomimicry of being a cat it's just i'm i have fur i'm like you know it's all digital fur i'm in my green screen suit and i'm vibing but then when you see the 1980s version it's like they're in their furs they're in like they're able to move around the furs they have to like the costuming itself has to be um, you know, available for the actors to kind of like move in in, in a very dynamic yeah. way, and so it they like so the actors kind of have a relationship with the costume. They have a relationship with these characters, and so when you strip that away, and the actors in the film are just in green screen suits, there's just a lack of connection, in my opinion. There's just, and that kind of might heighten to the kind of the, that, that that distance. And because Cats is so dance-heavy, and this is a problem I've had with Cats 2019 from day dot, Cats is so dance-heavy, and because of the CGI fur, not as it only creating the distance, like you said, it makes you wonder, where is the CGI in this dance move? How much of this is the actor actually doing it? Where are the fucking strings? Whereas in the stage performance, because, like, you know... You can, you can see, these are the dances, and oh my god, this is what the human body can do, and they're actually putting on a great performance. But when you're watching the movie, uh, it's like, okay, did they CGI that? Uh, like, is that person really doing it? And it's like, why did, you, why did you hire, like, brilliant dancers? Tom Hooper hired brilliant dancers, and then he ruined it visually by, like, putting CGI fur on them and making it look fake. Right, and it's so, it just because... It's it's the potential of what it could have been. I remember seeing um like some old renders of what the cats would have looked like, and they looked like actual cats. And so I loved like the design of them, like the initial designs of them. And I don't know why they got changed, but if they kept it as practical effects, I would have adored it. I would have loved it just for its costuming itself. You know, it would have made them more cat-like. But because of the CGI, they made them look like fairies like humanoid cats and that's why it just didn't work with me because not only is it uncanny it's just not it's just like you can't separate the fact that it just it's just humans pretending to be cats because they look more humanoid than actual cats right 
it's just there's just so much things that are wrong with cap 2019 we can definitely pick it apart but i have one more gripe okay go ahead go ahead okay tom hooper cut out about three goddamn verses from skimble shanks the <gasps> railway cat no. we were robbed. robbed we were definitely we robbed. were robbed Bitch, bitch, come down back here, Tom Hooper. Come down to Australia. You can get through. You're famous. You're rich, probably. Bitch, I'll fucking kill you. 1v1 me, cunt. For legal reasons, that's a joke. Legal reasons, that's a joke. For legal reasons, we aren't bullying him either. Legal reasons... No, I'm is, bullying him. For legal reasons... I'm straight up bullying for legal, him. For legal reasons, this is all criticism. Hey, he committed a hate crime against me with Cats 2019, okay? I'm bullying him. He, I'm allowed okay, I'm to. I'm saying, okay, he committed a hate crime on the entire LGBTQI plus community by so we should all gang up and uh, you know hate crime him back for legal reasons that's a joke <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke that's a joke legal reasons that's a joke um oh my god it's it's uh, this just it, this i'm just kind of like annoyed at the potential of what cats could have been you know mm. Like, in the 1998 version, uh, I looked this up uh, last night when I was uh, re-watching it, because I'm like, oh my god, that guy who's playing Gus the Theatre Cat, he's really good at, like, doing the old person shakes, you know, how they're, like, always shaking and stuff. Then I looked it up. It was actually a 90-year-old, like, playing that role for the recording. And it's like, for they use, uh, because it's recorded and they can, like, put in these 90s effects, they actually show us looking at like a ghost of what he used to be and it's just like yo this is what it could have been instead of ian mckellen lapping from a fucking saucer <laughs> ah! he's just sir 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 ian mckellen sir, a, ian a mckellen gay icon gay icon gay icon sir ian mckellen licking from a milk bowl Licking, licking. I don't. Just go very no. tenderly. Just, just. No, no. I don't want to see that, Sir Ian. Sir Ian. But I think we just kind of talk about how the adaptions of musicals has always been a thing, and adaptions of musicals to the screen. Yeah, uh, they don't always have to be bad. West Side Story won an Oscar, despite the fact that I think it's a piece of shit anyway it's like i don't know there's advantages that film has that theater doesn't like on stage you often have like theater uh, filler songs so that behind the scenes you can like have costume changes that's why usually in every musical there's that one song that nobody likes play like just by a minor character um you know you can obviously have more ambitious effects utilizing technology on film and uh, you can, like, have different angles. You can get subtler acting. You can get close-ups. Oh, my God, I think I just heard Tom Hooper pop a stiffy across the world with <laughs> that close-up point. But that's... That's not the point. It isn't It isn't the point. Because musical theatre... Like, I don't have a lot of experience with musical theatre. I've never... I've actually never seen a musical in person before. I've... I don't know much about it. And this is just speaking from kind of not only hearsay but my own pre like presumptions of like presumptions of like you know musical theater but like there's just an elegance and there's like a magic to theater because you like it's very different because when you're watching a screen right like a film there is that barrier of the screen of that fourth wall that you watch and there isn't like there is a distance because there's you're forced to be distant when you're watching a movie you're in a dark room you're alone you can't see anyone else but the screen 
in front of you and so you don't have that connection it's just everything is what what's everything is created it's just created it's just already there but when you're watching a theater you're watching it happen live you're watching people perform it live and so essentially you feel more of a connection to the people that are performing because they're addressing you and you can see them and you can hear them and you can hear the little flaws so you can hear you can see the flaws and you can see like they're human and there is that kind of human connection and it feels so much more i guess magical and raw in that way like i said i've never been to a musical so i don't know but i guess that's what it feels like is just being in a room of people who are performing for you and performing a story for you to see and for you to be completely immersed within is amazing and so i think film in that way kind of is a disadvantage when it comes to kind of that essence honestly it really is like i actually i've seen a few uh musicals in in person and i was i was in the stalls for rocky horror picture show one day and shane jacobson played the narrator and i'm like oh my god that shane jacobson he's like less than 10 meters away from me i'm standing i'm sitting this close to like a guy who's like a pretty well-known Australian actor. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is real, this is happening. And because Rocky Horror, there's a lot of audience participation, especially with the narrator, like people were calling out like back to him and he was like going back and there was that interactivity. There was this energy in the room and it's like, you cannot get that from a, a film. Like there's things you can get from film that you can't get from theater and there's things that you can get from theater that you can't get from film. So I would say, to stop considering cinema the peak of theatre, like, having a movie version of a musical isn't, like, the final goal. I, they're two different mediums. Like, in reality, like, cinema is often, like, theatre's final resting place. And I think we should let mediums live and thrive in their mediums without forcing an adaptation. Like, as if a musical isn't a valid form of art or entertainment until it's enshrined in film. Obviously, I'm not saying, like, never adapt anything. Like, Les Mis has been adapted into, like, every conceivable medium to various acclaim. But, like, I hear these cries for, like, a Hamilton movie or, or like, talk about the fabled Wicked movie. That's totally gonna happen, we promise. But it, it's... And it seems to ignore that turning theatre into cinema isn't the solution to make these works more accessible. What we really should be focusing on, uh, if we wanted to see more theatre coming into our homes, is to, you know, make it cheaper. Stop extorting us for, like, 2k for a ticket for Hamilton, please. And, like, encourage, like, pro shoots. Encourage things like Cat's uh, 1998 films. Encourage things like the Hamilton pro shoot, which they were going to sit on until this year, and then the pandemic happened. Yeah, like, I definitely agree with you that it, it should stay in place. I don't think this should be, like, I don't think all musicals should be adapted to film, you know? like Not all, but some some work. Uh, West Side Story, I mentioned earlier, won the 1963 Best Picture Oscar. Chicago, which is one of my favorite films, uh, uh, won the 2002 or 2003 Best Picture. Uh, Sound of Music, that was like really well received. Mm. It's funny because like, um, I think the idea of theater to me when I was younger and to me when I was younger was always something that is for the bourgeois, 
you know like i've never been to it because i always thought that it was like expensive and i thought only people of higher class could actually get in which is very weird because i that's why i thought no that's definitely the issue and I th- well one of the issues yeah and things like making theater like like you said making it more accessible and more uh cheaper even making tickets cheaper would be really nice but the thing is like i guess that kind of adds to like you know the allure of theater is the fact that it is higher class and that you have to get tickets early and you have to or else like you won't see anyone like there's a limited release with it um to see in person i guess that kind of adds to the allure and adds to kind of the popularity of theater in that way but it it is like i guess a double-edged sword with it like if you democratize something too much it kind of loses that allure because like cinema during like you know the 1910s and 20s was something that was very bourgeois like only like people higher class can actually go watch a movie but then afterwards became more democratized like for you know larger but like large budgets like studios and stuff um yeah it's become more democratized and so everybody kind of lost that kind of high class thing and it's made it, it made it accessible for everyone and it could be a good thing or a bad thing but i guess with theater i think it's always been relegated to being um high class and yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it's like, where do you draw the line between making things accessible and, you know, being able to pay your starving artists and the performers and pay the bills to uh, the theatre and all that stuff? And and one of the interactivity of cats was a notable thing uh, when it was in theatre, because like you said earlier, those cats, they, they were in and about the crowd. They were, they were scarring children for life. And that's something that you just don't get on on the screen. I mean, they scarred us in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it, uh, let me tell you, it was really weird watching a version of McCavity again and not having naked Idris Elba <laughs> pop up screaming, the Napoleon of crime. Like, it was weird. It was just, huh, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, but that should be for next time. So in our next episode, we're going to be kind of talking about the production of the film, all of the weird shit that happens, like cat school and just what the absolute fuckery of what Tom Hooper has fucking made and the choices he made and the decisions he made. And so that is something that we're gonna be talking about. Oh, and don't forget about the analysis, because we're gonna try and an- we're gonna try and analyze this fucking film. <laughs> Until then, you can join us and uh, watch us go crazy and see our cool updates, our cool graphics on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Letterboxd. Uh, All the links will be in the description below, as well as our tenuous sources for this episode. Uh, And until then, I have been Nicholas the Insane Cat. And I've been...